This week is affectionately known as a standalone week, which does kind of make me want to sing all by myself. I'm hoping that you'll give me a few words of encouragement so I'll feel like I'm not standing on my own. Thank you. (laughs) Actually, um, Liz Robinson spoke at the nine o'clock service, so I've had hours to worry about this before I do it. Um, But actually, we didn't talk, but what we're sharing is very similar and actually complements each other quite well, which is amazing. So I would encourage you um, perhaps to get the CD or the podcast from Liz, um, either instead of listening to me or as well as you can take your choice. But no, standalone basically means I have free reign to talk about whatever I want, as long as it's about God, obviously. Um, Not golf or... No, why would I want to speak about that? Um, When I was preparing for this, we were in the middle of the Dangerous Love series. And I'm sure, like me, you found that very challenging and a lot to think about. And it was out of that series, really, than thinking about some of the things that were brought up that started me on my track of thinking for this morning. And I quite often think about what, what comes before something, what leads up to something, So if we're to become people who are loving dangerously, what comes before that? How do we prepare ourselves to be those kinds of people? And Leon a few weeks ago talked about the shallow end and the deep end, if you're here. The shallow end being the one-off event that you might take part in or something that just crosses your path that you respond to unexpectedly. The deep end is where we become involved in something that becomes part of our lifestyle. Some of you will remember him saying that. And you might be thinking, well, I think dangerous love, it's, it's simple. You see a need and you meet it. It's not rocket science. And sometimes that is the case. Something will cross your path and you will respond to it accordingly. You will be the good Samaritan that Laura mentioned in her talk. Some, you see something and you meet that need. But you know, if we only ever act spontaneously, if we never ever plan or think about it, then I think we're going to run into trouble, and I'll explain why. If you're the sort of person who's fortunate enough to have a lot of means to be able to give, maybe you believe God's given you the spiritual gift of giving, and you like to see a need and meet that need that's financial. If all you ever do is see a need and write a cheque, That's great, but if you never look at your finances, if you never steward how you're going to manage that, one day you're going to write a cheque that's going to bounce all the way back to you. Quite often when I get in our car, I'll notice there's a light on on the dashboard. It's usually orange, and it usually means that the petrol is quite low. Some of you will have really fancy cars that will say, you have 18 more miles before you stop. Our car is more simple than that. It is just an orange light. But you can ignore the orange light. The orange light just says, yeah, it's kind of getting there, but you'll be all right. After a few miles, the orange light starts to flash. And that's the car sort of going, you know, you've ignored me, but I meant it. We are running out now. Fumes. If you don't get to the petrol station soon, you're going to be in trouble. And what will happen usually when that is the scenario, one of the kids will go, can you take me to Merry Hill, please? And whereas I might want to offer my darling children a nice lift to Merry Hill in a relaxed manner, in my head I'm thinking, am I going to get to Merry Hill? 
Will we conk out before we get to Merry Hill? The petrol's actually cheaper at Merry Hill, so if we could get there, that would be better. But actually, I think to be on the safe side, we need to call at the garage on the way. And what could have been an act of love for my children becomes full of stress and anxiety. And if we're constantly running ourselves out on empty, and that could be physically, it could be mentally, it could be spiritually, when we're asked to give or we see a need, where we could reach out in love instead and do that out of a sense of joy and generosity, we either give but out of stress and anxiety and guilt or sometimes we choose not to give at all. So I've been thinking about how do we live our lives every single day, being full and being ready to play our part. We could just watch the screens. I am really impressed that I've managed to fit a football analogy into a talk during a football tournament. Obviously something rubs off where I work. So that's the answer then. Mars bars at the door, on the way out, and we'll all be good. We'll all be ready. You know, the last time I spoke was the 1st of April, April Fool's Day. And if you remember the church news, you all promised Easter eggs and then got let down. Well, I'm afraid the Mars bars is the same kind of promise. No, we have to work and we have to rest and we play our part. And I thought, actually, you know, there's something in that if you take the Mars bars out. If we work really well and we rest really well, then we should surely be ready to play our part. So I want to talk a bit this morning about work, and I want to talk a bit about rest. And when I mention the word work, it will mean different things to different people, you'll all be in different situations, and I just want to ask you not to switch off when you get to a bit that you think doesn't apply to you, because I'm hoping that some of it will apply to all of you at different points. Some of you will spring out of bed in the morning, Monday morning, and go, good morning, Lord, happy, stretch, joyful, full of the joys of spring. Some of you will roll over and groan, hit the snooze button and say, good Lord, it's morning. It all depends on your experience and your attitude to work, whether you're really raring to go or it's like, oh, Monday, you know, five days to Friday. But you know, work was God's idea. I'm really sorry to break that to you, but that is the truth. Work was God's idea. Right back at the beginning of the Bible, Adam and Eve, they lived in this beautiful garden. All of the food was there for them. They didn't need to do anything other than commune with God. But they got tempted, as you know, and they sinned. And God had to send them out from this amazing paradise that they lived in. And one of the consequences of that was, from then on, they needed to work. They had to till the ground, get rid of the weeds, the thorns, sow, plant, farm, in order to put food on their table. So you might think, well, therefore, work's a bit of a negative thing. You know, it came about because of sin. But God always redeems everything, and he doesn't see it like that. God sees work, actually, as a really worthwhile, valued activity. And if you look in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 18, verse 9 says, One who is slack in his work... He's a close relative of one who destroys. One who is slack in his work is a close relative of one who destroys. And in some translations, that word one who destroys is actually the word vandalism. So it's saying if you're actually slack in your work, you might as well be a vandal. 
It's a bit of a challenging thought, isn't it? So let's think of some different um, things about work. Some of you will be sitting there rather proudly, nodding your head, going, well, that's okay, I've done my bit. I am now retired from work. Some of you lucky people who are, is it the baby boomer generation who got to retire at 50 and 60? Some of us who think we'll probably be here to about 85, the way things are going. I did think actually last week, looking at all the royal celebrations and thinking about Prince Charles, and he's been born for a job, and he's been trained all his life for a job. And yet at 60 or 61, something like that, when all his peers are thinking of retirement, he's still waiting to get the job that he was actually born to do. Unfortunately, there is no retirement in the kingdom of God. I don't think the word retirement is in the Bible. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think it is. And I want to just remind you, there was a guy in the Old Testament whose name was Caleb. And Caleb, in his younger days, he had a really good mate called Joshua, who you've probably heard of. And they were spies. So you can kind of imagine a sort of a Daniel Craig type figure that was Caleb. And there was 12 of them got asked to go and spy out the promised land. And Caleb and Joshua went and they spied with the other 10 guys. And they came back and went, yeah, great. Land flowing with milk and honey and huge grapes and lots of of, uh, resources in this land. And the other 10 came back and went, there's giants, can't possibly do that. But Joshua and Caleb were the ones who were really in tune with God and they were the go-getters. And I just want to read you something from Joshua 14, which is a lot later on in Caleb's life. But these words are absolutely amazing. This is what he says. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses. While Israel moved about in the wilderness. So here I am today, 85 years old. I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord has promised me that day. Amazing. 85. And he's saying, I'm still as strong today as that day when I was sent out as a spy. I'm just as vigorous. Give me this hill country. Give me what God has promised. And you know, it doesn't matter how old you are or whether you actually do go out and earn a living or whether you're retired, God still has a plan and a purpose to work out in your life no matter what your age. It may not be paid employment anymore, you might not need that. You know, this centre here is open, if you weren't aware of this, every day of the week. It's not a church that's open just on a Sunday. And we couldn't run this centre if it wasn't for loads of people who volunteer. And a lot of those people who volunteer, not all, but a lot, are people who've retired and they've moved on, but they're still saying, you know, God's got stuff for me to do now and I'm going to get stuck in and I'm going to get on with it. So I just want to encourage you, if you're retired, God hasn't finished with you just yet. You still have more to do. You might be not working because you might be looking for work. And this is a really difficult thing at the moment, isn't it, in an economic climate that we live in. And I know that from experiencing my family how disheartening it can be to make applications. And years ago, you used to be worried if you got a Dear John letter. And these days, you don't even get that. You just don't hear anything. And 
my daughter's been applying for a full-time job for about a year and she's made loads and loads of applications and finally this week started her first proper full-time job after a year of looking and it's really really challenging and you know I don't want to say anything this morning that might seem trite or condescending to you if you're out of work but I just want to say some things hopefully that will encourage you if God invented the concept of work if that's part of God's plan for our lives is work then he must have some way of working that out in your life. And that doesn't mean that we'll never ever be out of paid work, but it does mean that God has a plan. If you're out of work, it's not a surprise to God. He won't be worried or alarmed about it at all, and neither should you be, but I realise that's easier said than done sometimes. Um, Back in October 2010, my husband was made redundant and he was by far the major bedwinner in our house and so that was quite a a difficult time and he was on the dole for a few weeks. But just one little story, the week after um, he was made redundant, he had to work some notice, so he's still at work. Uh, I went on holiday with our youngest daughter, which was pre-planned, and when I got back, um, Alistair picked us up from Heathrow, and uh, he said, I found a job I can apply for. I'm like, great, that's good. And on paper, this job looked perfect. It really, really did. It just looked like it fitted him. It was something he really believed in doing. It just looked absolutely perfect. And he went through a long application process for it. And finally got offered an interview. And the interview was the Saturday before Christmas, which shows how long it took to get to that point. I don't know if any of you remember the Saturday before Christmas 2010. You're probably thinking no, but you would have done. Because it snowed. And it snowed. And it snowed and it snowed. And it was that time when the council, for some reason, thought they were going to save the grit for something else. Not really sure what that was, but... And we went out in the morning and I'm like, how on earth are you going to get to this interview? And as the day went on, it didn't get any better, it got worse. And eventually he rang up and said, look, I really don't think I'm going to safely be able to get there and certainly not back. And um, they said, yeah, we'll, we'll get back to you. Heard nothing, sent them emails, heard nothing. Day came, day went. And we thought, what was that about? Now I have to say, despite this job seeming so perfect for him, Both of us just had this little gut feeling inside which we couldn't attribute to anything but just this sense of something not quite right. And we'd had that all the way through the application process but we couldn't base it on anything. And so, you know, Christmas came and Christmas went and then he had an email basically to say they weren't going to pursue his application and that was that. And you think, but God, that was so perfect. What can possibly have gone gone wrong? What, What was it? But equally, because we'd had this sense of unease about it, we did have a sense of peace that, well, God knows what he's doing. And very, very randomly, a couple of months later, I was over in the funding office and just got talking to someone. And they said, uh, happened to mention this organisation that he'd applied for. And he said, oh, oh, they've gone out of business now. And I'm like, what? And I thought, you know what? God has us in control. God knows what he's doing. You know, We couldn't see it, it looked perfect, but God knew. And how kind of God to even close the loop for me and say, actually, that was why, you know. And I just want to encourage you with that, you know, if you are looking for work at the moment, if your job right now is finding a job, your value isn't tied up by what your job is or isn't or how much you earn. We often, if people come and they ask you to introduce yourselves, we talk about what we do. Have you ever heard anyone say, well, I'm Rachel Juice and I'm really nice and generous, I'm kind, I'm loving, I'm 
no, we don't do that, do we? We go, my name is Rachel Juice and I work at Christian Centre. And that's what we do. Which is a little strange. Perhaps you ought to try it differently next time someone asks you. But your value is not in what you do. Your value is in God. And it doesn't matter in that sense how much you get paid for doing it. So be encouraged if that's you. You know, God does have it in control. And let's think a bit about the workplace. That can be a challenging place as well at the moment. If you're in a job that you enjoy, working with people that you get on with, and you earn enough to pay your way, and there's no threats to your job security particularly that you're aware of, you ought to be rejoicing today. (laughs) Just for the podcast, because Leon will listen. I do count myself in that category. (laughs) If you're in that situation, you are blessed. You really are blessed. You should be getting out of bed in the morning going, good morning, Lord. You really are blessed. And you might look at me and think, she only works for church. She only works one day a week. What would she know? If you think that's true, you can come and talk to us afterwards. You may find at the moment working out in the secular environment can be really difficult. You know, there can be real challenges. People don't necessarily follow the same moral code and principles and values that you hold. And I was thinking back a long time ago, I was in a hospital with my youngest daughter, who was quite seriously ill at the time. And she was under two years old and she'd lost a lot of weight. And her arms were like little sticks. And two ladies turned up to do a blood test one day. And you're like, getting blood out of a two-year-old is difficult enough. Um, But in that situation, and they looked at her and they started to try. And the one lady turned to the other and said, I'll take the blood, you pray. Okay. And she knelt down and while the one lady was taking the blood, the other lady was praying that God would help them to do it. And I have to say, of all the blood tests my daughter's had, and she has had quite a lot, that was the most peaceful and relaxed. That was 13 years ago. You know, if those ladies did that today, they'd probably get sacked, potentially. You know, this is how our workplace has changed. And it can be a challenge. And as a Christian in the workplace, you know, it might be difficult. But you know, we're not necessarily called to sort out every single problem or ill. We're called to live differently but sometimes in a difficult environment. And remember that God is ultimately in control. And there's a story in the New Testament. It's a little book called Philemon, and it's just a letter. It's one chapter long, I think about 20 verses. And it's the story of this slave. Philemon is, the, is a Christian, and he has slaves. Which you think, well, that's a bit strange. And one of his slaves does something wrong, and he runs away. And the slave's name was Onesimus. And Monissimus goes to probably Rome and he bumps into the Apostle Paul, who converts him to Christianity, as I guess most people have bumped into Paul. That probably happened. And Paul writes a letter to Philemon, basically asking him to take Monissimus back. Paul doesn't sort of say, what are you doing having slaves? You know, he doesn't deal with that as a big issue. What he does say to Philemon is, you know, have him back you know, as a son, forgiveness. He talks about the way that, you know, they're going to behave towards towards him. And sometimes, you know, I think working in a secular environment, and although I work for a church, I have worked for a secular environment in times past, sometimes you have to just be the Christian with the good values and the good morals in a difficult situation. You can't necessarily sort out all of the 
ills that you think of the organisation you work for, but you can be someone who is different and showing forgiveness and showing love. And also, if you're a boss, you might you know, have people under you, not slaves, hopefully, but certainly people who work for you, you know, in the way that you treat them and pray for them, you know, that you can be an impact on their lives. And some of you work at home. You probably don't get paid, but you may have chosen to stay at home with young children or for other reasons as a carer. That is work. You may not get paid for it, but it's certainly work. I would call it hard work and valuable work. And don't ever undervalue or devalue yourself because that is the way you have chosen or because you're juggling that with other work. You know, the days that you have with small children are short. It doesn't seem like that at the time, but it really is very, very short. And what you input into your kids in those years forms a legacy that you leave with them. Quite often, you know, I think as you get older, I don't think I'm there yet, I have to say, but you may, you start thinking about inheritance and what am I going to leave for my children once I've paid for my elderly home care fees, what's left, what am I going to inherit to my children? But you know, legacy is far more important, I think, than inheritance. And you put in, start to put in legacy into them from day one. And when they get to be teenagers and they start making their own choices and decisions, what you've put into them you almost have to stand back and hope it was enough. And it's really important what we put. So if you've given over some of your time to that, that is really important and really valuable work. So whatever you do in your working life, work hard. Do it for Jesus. You may not want to do it for your boss. You might not want to do it for your colleagues some days. But do it for Jesus. Think, if Jesus was here and I was working for him, What would I be doing today? How would I do it differently? How would I work hard? Let's think about rest then, because that's quite tiring, isn't it, thinking about work all the time. Rest was also ordained by God, and it goes even further back than Adam and Eve. Genesis 2 verse 2, God finished his creation in six days, and then he rested. You might think, is that literal? Was it really six days? Forget all of that. The point is this. You know, God, who is almighty, who never tires, who never grows weary, had a rest. Worked for six, rested for one. God is setting up here a pattern and a rhythm. And lives of ancient people would have been very much governed by rhythm and by pattern. It gets dark. Might as well go to bed. Wait till it gets light again. The seasons would have governed what you ate. You could only eat certain things at certain times of the year. If you're a farmer, different jobs get done at different times of the year. And God lays down this pattern. Work hard, but also rest. Work six, rest one. And the pattern was laid out in the Jewish laws, and rest one became what they called the Sabbath. And in the Sabbath, they weren't allowed to do any work. But when Jesus came on the scene, he did something unthinkable, and he broke the Sabbath law and had a bit of a hoo-ha with some of the Pharisees. So we could be forgiven for thinking, Jesus has come and he's kind of done away with all of that. No, Jesus came to do away with the legalism that's attached to it. Jesus said, hang on a minute, man isn't made for the good of the Sabbath. The Sabbath is made for the good of man. It's for your own benefit to have a rest. You need some downtime. You need some time to rest. You need time to worship. Your life requires a rhythm to it. 
And we've removed, haven't we, so much need for rhythm and sense of rhythm in these days. It gets dark, you turn the light on. You don't need to go to bed. You can work any hour. You put the heating on if it gets cold. Turn it off if it's too hot. Transport means you can eat whatever you want, whenever you want to. 24-7 world means that working hours can be all over the place and rhythm can be hard to find. And then we've got technology. Bless it. You can have your work emails on your smartphone all the time, every day. It can be the first thing you look at in the morning, even before you get out of bed. You can check in on your work emails on the bus, on the way, or on a beach from the other side of the world. You can never get away. And there's nothing intrinsically wrong with any of these things. And if you're a boss of an organisation or you've got certain responsibilities, sometimes you do need to be in touch. But we all need, you need more discipline in these days, I think, to get a rhythm into your life and to work out how this works for you because everyone needs to ensure that they get adequate rest. Remember the ratio, work six, rest one. There's a bit of criticism in the press in the last few months about the Prime Minister. Chillaxing, it said in one newspaper. I mean, what's chillaxing? Perhaps we can ask James Morris when he comes in a few weeks, what exactly is chillaxing? It's a new word. And there's an idea, isn't there, that, oh, he's meant to be running the country. He must be so busy. How can he possibly find time to play tennis or watch the football or chillax? But you think if God the creator of the universe decided to rest for one day. I think we can probably allow David Cameron a little chillax time. And again, in our economic situation and the climate that we've got, there can be a pressure to work and work and work. If you don't work and work and work, you're not going to keep your job. And again, we might remind ourselves that God's best plan for our lives is to work hard for six and rest for one. And if we're careful to follow God's best for our lives, it will be best for us and our families in the long run. And sometimes we need to remember that above the pressure from the outside world to work and work and work. And rest isn't necessarily a passive thing. There can be the idea that rest, that means I go home, I sit in my armchair, drink in one hand, remote control in the other, switch the telly on and breathe. But good rest isn't just about sitting down and doing nothing. Not saying that you can't do that, but good rest is about building good things into your life. If you've got a really physically demanding job, rest for you might include doing something that challenges your brain, doing something different. And if your work is really, really mentally challenging, also rest might include doing something physical. Then, of course, there's the whole spiritual rest. God's rest is about communion with God. And this is where this really, really does connect so well with what Liz said at nine o'clock. And if you put the two together, we could perhaps become a (laughs) mini-series. And communion with God is ultimately about putting good things into your life. And I want to read you some words from Matthew 11. And these are from the message version. And just let these words really just go into you and just really, you know, they're kind of words that feed you, if you like. Are you tired? Worn out, burned out on religion. Come to me, that's Jesus talking. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. 
I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. (sighs) That makes you feel better just reading it, doesn't it? Just reading those words gives me energy. Who wouldn't want to recover their lives sometimes? But hang on, remember the car constantly running with hardly any petrol? This isn't about emergency pit stops into the petrol station when you're down to the fumes. Walk with me and work with me, says Jesus. This is an everyday thing. Learning how Jesus does things through reading his word and by listening to him. Learning how he handles things. Learning his unforced rhythms. The legalistic Sabbath that the Jews tried to force. Jesus wants unforced, but still a rhythm. Do you feel like your life is heavy and ill-fitting? Maybe you're doing things that Jesus hasn't asked of you. Or maybe your rhythm is just wrong. I remember speaking to someone a while back who was going to a Christian festival for a weekend. And they were saying, oh, it's, I can't wait. I can't wait to go. This is my annual spiritual fill-up. Like, Annual? If you're relying on an annual holiday or attending a Christian conference, even though those things are good, but if you're relying on those to fill you up spiritually for life, then you're going to really struggle the rest of the time. If you think about it, our Christian lives should be able to survive and thrive without ever taking a holiday or going to a Christian conference. I say I'm not knocking those things, they're great. But we should be able to survive without any of those things if we learn these unforced rhythms of grace that Jesus talks about. Keeping company with Jesus means stopping, spending time in his presence, reading his word. And it's easy, isn't it, in these days to think, I don't have time. But Jesus promises, keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Who wouldn't want to do that? Can we afford the time to do that? Can we afford not to do the time to do that? Is the other question. And I want to read some more words from Isaiah 40. And again, I'm going to read them from the message and let them really sink in to your spirit this morning. Have you not been paying attention? Have you not been listening? Haven't you heard these stories all your life? Don't you understand the foundation of all things? God sits high above the round ball of earth. The people look like mere ants. He stretches out the skies like a canvas. Yes, like a tent canvas to live under. He ignores what all the princes say and do. The rulers of the earth don't count for much. Princes and rulers don't amount to much. Like seeds barely rooted, just sprouted, they shrivel when God blows on them. Like flecks of chaff, they're gone with the wind. So, who is like me? Who holds a candle to me, says the Holy One? Look at the night skies. Who do you think made all this? Who marches this army of stars out each night? Counts them off. Calls each by name. So magnificent, so powerful, and never overlooks a single one. 
Why would you ever complain, O Jacob, or whine Israel, saying, God has lost track of me. He doesn't care what happens to me. Don't you know anything? Haven't you been listening? God doesn't come and go. God lasts. He's creator of all you can see or imagine. He doesn't get tired out. He doesn't pause to catch his breath. He knows everything inside and out. He energizes those who get tired. He gives fresh strength to dropouts. Even young people tire and drop out. Young folk in their prime stumble and fall. But those who wait upon God get fresh strength. They spread their wings and soar like eagles. They run and don't get tired. They walk and don't lag behind. And just that final bit, I'm going to read again from the NIV because you might think, oh, that's a bit more familiar. Do you not know, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. God knows what he's doing. In all the chaos and confusion that can be life on planet earth, we serve a God who knows it all. He's in control totally and knows what he's doing. We can't work it all out, but he can and does. And there's a promise for us in this. God is the source of our strength. If you're weary, God can give you strength. If you're weak, God can give you power. It's not an age thing. It applies to all, young and old. But it's for those who hope in the Lord. Some translations say those who wait on the Lord. If we choose not to come to him, not to wait, not to put our hope in him, put our hope elsewhere, we won't receive the promise of his strength and power. As I wrote this, I'm thinking, this is so simple. Why don't I do this more? Why do I often let myself get so low on strength before I come to God? Is that just me? Maybe it's you too. And the last three phrases of those verses in Isaiah talk about three things. It talks about soaring on wings like eagles, running and not growing weary, walking and not faint. So you've got soar, you've got run and you've got walk. And I was just thinking about those things and I thought it's interesting. He talks about soaring on wings first. There's lots of things we can do as human beings, but soaring on wings isn't one of them. We can't fly, I don't think. Not in our own bodies anyway. So the first thing that he's talking about here is something that's actually supernatural. First and foremost, God wants to give you the supernatural strength to be able to rise above your circumstances and soar into his presence. When we see our circumstances from the vantage point of an eagle looking down, they look a whole lot different and life gets to his perspective. And that's the first thing God wants to give you this morning, that ability to soar on a wing like an eagle. And then we're talking about running and not growing weary. Now suddenly we're talking about running is something that theoretically most of us can do, at least a little bit. Running doesn't require supernatural power, but it does talk about something that is a little bit beyond what you would normally do in your everyday life. A couple of months ago I did a bit of a run, as some of you will know. 
And some people said to me, I don't know how you managed to run 26 miles. To be honest, I don't really know myself. But the thing is, it's not something mystical. There was no kind of weird and wonderful thing that happened on the morning of the 26th of April that I got up and thought, I know, let's go for a very long run. I decided I was going to do it. I planned. I ran many, many miles beforehand, building up the strength to do it. Running and not growing weary, having said that, is a totally different thing. That is certainly supernatural, because weariness definitely came into the day. So God wants to give us the strength, the supernatural power to soar on wings like eagles. He also wants to give you the supernatural power in your day-to-day life to just push beyond what would be sort of normal for you, to stretch, to do something that's a challenge. Finally, he says, walk and not grow faint. Probably the overwhelming majority of people here can walk. Certainly get about with with some other aid if you can't actually walk yourself. But all of us every day walk or get about. It's a normal everyday, day after day activity that we don't even think about really unless you've particularly gone a long walk and you wake up the next day and think, oh, what happened there? And God wants to give us also the power, not just to soar, not just to run and push ourselves, but the power to do the normal, everyday, humdrum, routine things of life and persevering in that. What a promise is that from God? The normal, the everyday, the pushing yourself a bit further and the supernatural strength. For me, that is just an amazing promise from God in those verses in Isaiah. And I'm convinced, you know, that if we really, really work well, and if we rest in God well, if we learn from him the unforced rhythms, then we're going to be ready to play our part. Then we're going to be ready and full up at all times to do those acts of dangerous love that either come across our path or that we plan to do or that are part of our lifestyle. We need to have our tanks full up of love and compassion And that comes by having this rhythm with God. Then we can serve people, we can serve him, not out of stress and anxiety and feeling guilty, but out of power and love and compassion. How great would that be? How great would that be? Maybe you're, as we're nearly at the end now, maybe you're thinking, I'm already there, I already do that, and that's fantastic, and I'll take my hat off to you. Maybe you need to go away, think about it and revisit and adjust something about your life. But I'd like to, just before we sing the last song, just pray for a couple of groups of people, if you don't mind. Perhaps we could just close our eyes. And The first group of people I want to pray for is those of you who, for some reason, work is a challenge at the moment. It might be that you're out of work and you're looking and you really need God. It might just be that your work situation is particularly difficult. Or it might just be that you feel challenged this morning, that you really need to work harder and you need to give it your best. And I just want to just ask you, if that's you, could you just raise your hand? Nobody's looking. You know, just raise your hand where you are. And I just want to pray for you in that situation right now. God, I just thank you that you've ordained work for us. You've ordained a path and stuff for us to do in our lives God and I just bring these people to you this morning who have responded and they're just saying I need help with this and God some of them might need jobs 
They might just need help every day as they face difficult work situations. God, maybe there's colleagues that they're struggling to work alongside, but God, whatever the situations are, and you know them, God, I just pray that you will bless them. God, I just pray that you will give them the strength to soar on wings like eagles. You'll give them the strength to run and not grow weary. You'll give them the strength to walk and not faint. That you will inspire them as they get up tomorrow. Maybe if they're looking for a job and they think, I've filled out 101 applications and heard nothing back. God, you will give them the enthusiasm and the courage to just do one more. And God, I just pray you will lead them in your path. Lead them in the path that you have planned for them in their lives. Encourage them, I pray, God. Amen. And the second group of people I want to talk to is, is any of you tired this morning? You feel like you're really, really worn out with life and you've kind of missed these rhythms of grace. You feel like life isn't light, but life is heavy. I'd like to pray for you this morning. I just wonder actually if that's you. While we've got our eyes closed, perhaps you could just stand to your feet as, as I'm going to just pray for you. Just stand to your feet. If you're feeling tired and weary this morning, let's stand and we'll pray for you. God, I just pray for these people who are just feeling just really worn out this morning and really tired. God, I just pray that you will send your new strength, that you will give them new strength, that you will just give them the ability to soar on wings like eagles. God, I just pray that if there's something in their life that they're doing that maybe you're saying, actually, that's not for you to do, or that's not for you to worry about, or that's not for you to be anxious about, or maybe you can't change that, but you can change this. God, I just pray that you'll speak to them, that you'll show them the rhythm that you want them to live in, that you will show them the things that you want them to do and that you will fill them with your strength, God, and that they will daily be able to spend time with you and receive your power for living their everyday life, God. Perhaps we can all stand now as we're just going to come to this final song, God. God, I just pray that as we've really done the Dangerous Love series and moved on from that and moving on again next week, God, that you'll continue to challenge us, that we'll be ready every day, that our Christian lives won't rely on one-off annual events or running from one desperate situation to another. But God, we will constantly be being filled with your power and your love and your Holy Spirit, that we will then be able to reach out and dangerously love those around us. God, I just pray that you'll speak to us. I prayed at the beginning, what's been my words? I just pray you'll blow them away. But what is from your spirit that you will leave as a deposit, God, and you will do your work in that. Thank you, God, for being with us, God. Amen.